And where exactly do you live, Mr. Dawson? Well, right now, my address is the RMS Titanic. After that, I'm on God's good humor. And how is it you have means to travel? I work my way from place to place. You know, tramp steamers and such. But I won my ticket on Titanic here at a lucky hand at poker. All life is a game of luck. A real man makes his own luck, Archie. Right, Dawson? And you find that sort of rootless existence appealing, do you? Oh, yes, ma'am, I do. I mean, got everything I need right here with me. Got air in my lungs and a few blank sheets of paper. I mean, I love waking up in the morning not knowing what's gonna happen or who I'm gonna meet. Just the other night, I was sleeping under a bridge, and now here I am on the grandest ship in the world having champagne with you fine people. <laughs> I'll take some more. Ah, the heart will go on. 25 years ago this month, James Cameron's Titanic hit theaters. December of 1997 was one of the greatest months for new releases in movie history. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Roper. This is the Richard Roper Podcast. We're going to talk about this incredible month in 1997 that saw not only the release of Titanic, but some other memorable classic films. We're going to get to all that in a second. And we're going to have some reviews, including a review of James Cameron's latest. You might have heard a little something about this small indie underwater film called Avatar, The Way of Water. So reviews of that and some other stuff. But before we get to all of that, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. So December of 1997, believe it or not, 25 years ago, Titanic was released and there was a years of buildup talking about this film. James Cameron had done a ton of uh, great stuff already, including uh, Terminator, etc. But for a while there, it was considered to be something that could be this huge folly because they were over budget, this big two-thirds size Titanic. They were having technical problems with this giant water tank, et cetera, et cetera. But once it came out, all the money uh, was put to good use. You could see that on the big screen, almost universal critical acclaim, eventually nominated for 14 Academy Awards, tying All About Eve for the most nominations. And it won 11 including, of course, Best Picture and Best Director. It cemented uh, Leo DiCaprio's standing as arguably the star of his generation, or certainly in the top five, and he continues to be playing at the top level. Kate Winslet, of course. Uh, it ended up winning 11. That ties uh, Ben-Hur, actually. A total of, uh, I mentioned Best Picture and Best Director, but a total of 11 and went well past the billion dollar mark uh when we don't get into adjustments for inflation it was the highest growing grossing film of all time until avatar came along in 2010. it's interesting too that also led to people always talk about the academy awards the following a few months later where titanic you know won 11 academy awards and it had a huge viewership in part because such a popular film was being featured but it's not just because of that people always say that oh that was the year titanic so that that's why 40 million people watch it's because it was 1997 folks you know the ratings are never going to be the same for any television show special with the possible exception of the super bowl as they were 25 years ago there just weren't as many options so if you look at the top rated sitcoms right now in in 
2022, they've got 30% of the numbers that shows like Seinfeld and Friends had back in the day. It's just the nature of the business now with all the different platforms, but did lead to a hugely successful Academy Awards show. When the movie came out, it did do very big business its opening weekend, but it didn't do insane business. The reason Titanic went on to make nearly $2 billion was, and this still happens, although not as much, was it, it just kept getting that word of mouth and that feeling that it was an event film that people had to see and repeatability. Some people wanted to go back and see it many times. It was that kind of film. And it really was uh, amazing to see it on the big screen. I remember seeing uh, you know, a press preview of it. And then I actually went back and wrote a column, maybe when it was out for about a month, where I actually kind of sneaked in through the back when they let me sneak in. And I watched the audience watching it, uh, you know, full, full house in a very crowded theater in a very big, uh, spacious theater in, in downtown Chicago, sold out. And I just wanted to see people. And it looked like those photos you see from back in the day, from the 30s and 40s and 50s, where everybody's looking up at the screen and totally immersed in the movie. And it just reminded us of the magic of movies. It still is. Listen, we know it's kind of cheesy, but it's a really great film. I mean, the technical expertise is definitely there. It's incredible. The performances are strong. I almost like the parts before the ship starts sinking better because it's such a buildup and we meet all these interesting characters, many of them based on real life people. The two leads were not Billy Zane established as this, you know, this villain. And we see the folly of everybody involved with this unsinkable ship and we know what's coming. So I think it's brilliantly done. Here's something that's pretty interesting. If you look at 1997, December of 1997, you figure, well, Titanic came out. That was it, right? It just dominated. And it did. But a ton of other really interesting and, and in some cases, I think great films came out, including Goodwill Hunting. On the campus of one of America's leading universities, the most gifted mind to ever enter its classrooms is the person who cleans its floors. Meet Will Hunting. I've been looking over this rap sheet of yours. Assault, theft, resisting. I've spoken to the judge, and he's agreed to release you under my supervision. Really? You have to meet with a therapist every week. Academy Award winner Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Stellan Skarsgård, and Minnie Driver. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting came out in December of 1997. Again, you know, we know now that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were destined for stardom. They were just starting off in their careers. And the idea that these two kids wrote this screenplay that got them Academy Awards is, is pretty incredible. When Matt Damon first started writing it, he had created the character of Will as this kind of, you know, the guy that we saw on screen, this genius. But then they turned it into a thriller. It was originally written as a thriller where uh, Will gets targeted uh, by the government. They want him to come work for him and almost become like Jason Bourne. And then studio executives and famously Gus Van Zandt and William Goldman and others looked at it and said, the story here is this kid and, you know, the, the abuse he suffered and his friendships and his relationships. And of course, uh, Robin Williams, Academy Award winning performance as the therapist. So it started off as something very different. They went with it in the right direction, I think. 
amazing cast in a different in addition to Robin Williams and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Minnie Driver, of course, Stellan Skarsgård. It's just it, it holds up, as we like to say, really, really well, because it's about those characters. It was made for less than $10 million. It made over $225 million, got nominations in nine categories. Uh, and of course, one for Best Original Screenplay for Affleck and Damon and Best Supporting Actor for Robin Williams. I want to play something for you here, too, um, from Siskel and Ebert. This is the December of 1997, one of the weekly shows that that Gene and Roger, my dear uh, lamented friends, uh, were hosting. And here's a little clip of them talking about Goodwill Hunting. I suspect Matt Damon is going to get all the buzz from this movie, but Robin Williams comes off the floor from his lame role in Flubber to deliver, I think, one of his best performances in years. A smart, caring psychotherapist without the traditional Robin Williams wild man humor that so often, I think, keeps us from really believing the characters he's playing. Thumbs up for me, a big one for Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, and thumbs up for the script by uh, Damon and Affleck because they... Yeah we're able to come up with something that you don't see in the movies. It, it's real complicated in a couple of ways. First of all, this kid has one mind in a billion. He's one of the most brilliant right. mathematical minds on the planet. He had this shattered childhood. And for these people to help him, the kind of the yeah. woman, the professor, the friend, the friend who says, if you are still here in 10 years, I'm going to yeah. kill you, yeah. and the psychiatrist, all trying to help him. It's a wonderful building process that allows him to realize his potential. It's such an original idea for a film. Well, also, uh, they give a, a sense of place, too. These guys met in Boston mm -hmm. or near, the, near Boston. They went to school together, these two young yeah. actors. Uh -huh. They've got the city right, the accents right, and this Matt Damon is the real deal. This, oh, yeah. Have, that's, I mean, he, he's got the great looks. But these are different characters, Rain Man and... Excuse uh, me, Rain Man. Rain Maker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a... There's a what can we say about Boonwellian rather than Freudian slip? Huh? Very nice. Okay. Very nicely okay. done. Pretty amazing stuff. And uh, maybe the most famous scene, of course, is the the confrontation in the bar. And then Will gets a uh, mini driver character, gets the gets her phone number. The guy playing the bro douche. Remember the guy with the blonde, long blonde hair who thought he was so much smarter because he had the formal education. That's a wonderful character actor by the name of Scott William Winters. And his brother, Scott's brother, is Dean Winters, a.k.a. Mayhem, from the insurance commercials. So how do you like them apples? Do you like apples? Yeah. Well, I got a number. How do you like them apples? <laughs> also released... In December, not just in 1997, but actually in the month of December, 25 years ago this month, Scream 2, the sequel to the the huge kind of surprise hit Scream. Uh, I like Scream 2. One of the interesting things is now, of course, Sydney's at college, but this is when it really started becoming self-referential, even more than the original and double meta, because there is now a movie called Stab, the Stab film based on the events of the Woodsboro Massacre. So they had a lot of fun with that. Scream 2 came out, became a big hit. Two Windsor College students were murdered last night during a sneak preview of the new movie, Stab. It's starting again, Randy. This has nothing to do with us. Randy, a guy in a ghost mask hacked up two people in a movie theater telling our life story. Hi, Gail Weathers, author of The Woodsboro Murders. Do you think the killer will strike again? We have no evidence that this is a serial killer. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Hello? Hello, Sydney. 
What do you want? I want you. It's showtime. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies came out in December of 1997. That's Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. Take a listen. Bond. <laughs> James Bond. How much do you know about Elliot Carver, W7? Worldwide media band. Most newspapers, radio, satellite TV. There's no news. Like bad news. Let the mayhem begin. This holiday season. What the hell is he doing? His job. The world belongs. To Bond. When you remove Mr. Bond's heart, there should just be enough time for him to watch it stop beating. I would have thought watching your TV shows was torture enough. Not a great James Bond movie, but Pierce Brosnan was solid. It had kind of the the typical, oh, got to put an end to the Third World War kind of plot. But Tomorrow Never Dies, which um, is one of the few Bond films that didn't open at number one. And that's because it opened the same weekend as Titanic. Still did very well. Also, December 1997 brought us Amistad from Steven Spielberg. That was based on the events in 1839, I believe it was, aboard a Spanish slave ship, prestige film, Morgan Freeman, Anthony Hopkins, Jaiman Hansu, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, it, it did pretty well at the box office. Not a huge hit for Spielberg because, I mean, it's you know, very weighty material, but uh, a very solid historical drama from Steven Spielberg. They were first detained by officers of a survey brig off the coast of Long Island. I can only assume that the charge is murder. We do hereby claim salvage on the high seas of the Spanish ship La Amistad and all her cargo. We have to try the case again. This is the most important case ever come before this court. Because what it in fact concerns is freedom. The very nature of man. To get home. Here's another one that came out in December of 1997. As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson. TriStar Pictures invites you to meet a truly appalling individual. He's a freak show. He's the worst person I ever met. Help! If you want to see me, you will make an appointment. Dr. Green, how can you diagnose someone as an obsessive compulsive disorder and then act as though I had some choice about barging in? Pay me a compliment, Melvin. I need one. Quick. I love you. You make me want to be a better man. That's maybe the best compliment of my life. Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear, and Cuba Gooding Jr. As good as it gets. So this is um, James L. Brooks directing it. It uh, stars Nicholson as a horrible person, really for most of the film but as he famously says to helen hunt she makes him want to be a better man jack nicholson and helen hunt both won academy awards for best actor and best actress respectively that's a pretty rare thing it was nominated for best picture but of course lost to titanic as good as it gets came out in december of 1997 as did jackie brown from quentin tarantino if you have the chance to walk off with a half million dollars would you take it yeah what do a stewardess, a gunrunner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent, and a beach bunny have in common? They're all chasing a half million in cash. There's only one question. Who's playing who? Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. 
this is one when when it came out, I was like, you know, I, I I didn't put it in the same category as Pulp Fiction or even Reservoir Dogs. I liked it, didn't love it, but upon further viewings, I just watched it recently. It's really a terrific film. I mean, I, I like everything Tarantino's done. This is based on an Elmore Leonard novel. He brought uh, Pam Greer back to the spotlight as the title character, Jackie Brown. And then, of course, you had Sam Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, and Bobby De Niro. What a cast. I thought uh, Bridget Fonda in particular gets one of her best performances. And Robert Forster, this is you know one of the things Tarantino loves to do is take beloved actors and find beloved actors from his youth who were in sometimes B-movies or cool but not hugely popular TV shows like Michael Parks and, and give them great roles. David Carradine gives them great roles in his films. when he And, he, and that was great to see not only uh, Pam Greer in a, in a wonderful starring role, but Robert Forster, who's just a, we lost him not too long ago. I had a chance to have dinner with him in Chicago a few years back and just the loveliest man. If you don't recognize the name, you've seen him in a lot of stuff, including Breaking Bad, and then later in some of the some of the spinoffs, he was the guy that run the vacuum cleaner repair shop who could make people disappear. He was great in that as well. Jackie Brown, December of 1997. And finally, December 1997, saw the release of Wag the Dog. There's a crisis in the White House. What's the crisis? And the president's top advisors have been called together. Oh, jeez. Sexual misconduct occurred inside the Oval Office. How much will this scandal affect the outcome? Now, Washington's top spin doctor has an idea, but he can't pull it off without Hollywood's top producer. You want me to produce your war? Not a war, it's a pageant. What do you want the kid to say? All the spectacle. I know we're all concerned for the president. I know we're all concerned for the president. I know uh, that we're all concerned for the president. He didn't, he didn't sell the line. Wag the dog. When the fit hits the shan, somebody's gonna have to stay after school. Now, Wag the Dog is an interesting film. It was really out of its time. This is Barry Levinson directing uh, Robert De Niro again and Dustin Hoffman. Uh, the setup here is there's a, a presidential sex scandal and the spin doctors decide to create a war in Albania to distract voters. Uh, some you know, kind of way before anybody had used the term fake news. And this actually came out about a month before the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. So, it, it, you know, it really seems like, wow, this film, this film really was ahead of its time. And, and, and today, Still, some of the themes explored here and the terrific screenplay by Hillary Henkin and David Mamet, the great David Mamet, uh, really has some interesting insights. So Wag the Dog, all of those movies came out in December of 1997. Well, it's December of 2022, and we're going to talk about some of the movies coming out right now. But first, here's Ro Khan to talk about Portillo's. Portillo's are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun and, of course, their legendary chocolate cake. But that's just the beginning, my friends. The menu has mouth-watering varieties of favorites from a charbroiled burger to an Italian beef to a mm -hmm. cheese fry to a chopped salad and the chocolate cake. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you are a fan of this podcast or heard any other episode of this, you know how I feel about the chocolate cake. It's the greatest chocolate cake in the history of chocolate or cake. Portillo's also has locations throughout the Midwest and in Florida, California, and Arizona. Order curbside pickup or delivery today 
Ship Portillo's anywhere in the United States of America by ordering at portillos.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. So what does her heartbeat sound like? Mighty. We cannot let you bring your war here. The way of water connects all things before your birth and after your death. I need you with me. And I need you to be strong. Strong heart. Well, that's a clip from James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water, the highly anticipated sequel to Avatar. It's been about 13 years and about $300 million, and they spent three years filming this. And I'm here to tell you, it's exactly kind of what you'd expect. It's amazing to look at. I'd give it like a 9.8 out of 10 for visuals, and I'd give it about a 6 for story. Because even though it is incredible to look at, you got to see it on the big screen. If you get a chance to see it in 3D, as I did, uh, the colors, the creatures, so much of the film is set uh, on a kind of reef based community all of that is spectacular and even though it's about a little more than three hours running time it actually doesn't move slowly because there's always something to look at it's like this giant thrill ride the storyline you know it's uh, sully who's sam worthington's character and zoe saldana's character they're married they've got i guess married whatever they call it in pandora there's that definitely partnered up uh and they've got four kids and we so there's a lot of domestic stuff there and then it's about protecting your family because now the sky people aka the humans are coming back to pandora to basically take over the planet and so you're going to get battle sequences and domestic drama and some really interesting new characters and the return of some characters that you didn't think were going to be able to return because we thought they were dead but they come up with some creative ways to do that we've seen all this before i mean there's everything from free willy to Elements of Titanic and Dances with Wolves to Die Hard and Apocalypse now in this film. So the storyline isn't really what drives something like this. It's really just about the amazing visuals. And on that level, from the motion capture to the live action to the CGI and the visual effects and everything else that James Cameron and his army of artists do, it's incredible to look at. So, I mean, you got to go check it out. Avatar, The Way of Water, completely different end of the spectrum. Netflix has a I don't know if you'd really call it. It's a special more than a movie because it's 52 long, fifty-two minutes long. It's called Who Killed Santa? Our Murderville Mystery. Now, Murderville is that show that Netflix did a limited series uh, where Will Arnett plays a detective named Terry Seattle. He's kind of a classic Will Arnett character, kind of a blustering idiot. Um, but the conceit here is that each episode, Will Arnett and the supporting cast have a script, but then guest celebrities playing themselves are just brought in as the his new partner. He gets a new partner every week, and they don't really know what's going on, so they have to improv their way through the murder mystery, and we get three suspects, and at the end, they the guest star has to try to figure out who the killer is, and it actually kind of works on a couple of levels. It's like an extended SNL sketch, uh, but also... The murder mystery actually kind of makes sense at the end when they reveal everything. So in the first season, they had everybody from Conan O'Brien, Kumail Nanjiani, Sharon Stone, Annie Murphy, uh, Ken Jeong, all playing themselves. And as you would expect from that list, they were all really, really good playing off of Will Arnett. And of course, he, as an actor, Will Arnett is so good at playing it straight and getting them to break and laugh 
and also getting them to do ridiculous things. And, you know, like a lot of times they'll have earpieces and he's instructing them what to do, or he's explaining this increasingly ludicrous situations to them and they've got to improv and go with it. So for who killed Santa, a murderville mystery, it's a holiday special where someone actually kills a guy. I'm not going to give away all the guest stars on this, but there's someone playing Santa Claus gets murdered with a big giant candy cane. Uh, Jason Bateman is the new partner for uh, Detective Terry, Terry Seattle. And then Maya Rudolph comes in and then a couple of other guest stars I don't want to give away because they're kind of keeping that a secret. So it's all about trying to figure out who killed Santa. And the, the show has kind of a deliberately cheap look. It's obvious that they're just in production offices in Hollywood. And that's kind of the fun of it. But there are three or four moments in this where you just will laugh out loud. Who killed Santa? A Murderville mystery that's available on Netflix. Well, if it isn't the ghost of Christmas ass. That's not complimentary. Don't be distracted by all this Christmas crap. You're here for threat assessment. Mayor Palmer, don't you worry about it. Terry Seattle is on the case. Santa Claus is dead. Jason, why don't you tell Maya everything that's happened? Wait, really? Santa Claus is dead? Here's a film that's rolling out in theater across the country. We talked about it in the Golden Globes broadcast uh, podcast, if you will, uh, just a few days ago. The Whale. Uh, this is, I think, one of the very best movies of the year. Brendan Fraser with his comeback uh, vehicle. It's directed by the great Darren Aronofsky. You're an amazing person, Ellie. I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter. Are you actually trying to parent me right now? Who would want me to be a part of their life? You haven't seen her since she was eight years old and you're gonna reconnect with her? Sorry. I don't like this. This isn't a good idea. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time, I will shove a knife right into you, I swear to God. Go ahead, what's it gonna do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? I need to know that I have done one thing right with my life. It's the story of a reclusive, English teacher, he conducts his classes online, who feels like he may be at the end of his life. He has become morbidly obese. He weighs like 600 pounds. He's in failing health and he wants to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter. It's about that and so much more. I know there's some concerns about this film and whether it exploits body imagery and people who are dealing with weight issues. I think it's a very empathetic film. I think Brendan Fraser gives an amazing performance. The prosthetics are in service of the story. It doesn't feel like we're laughing at this character. We're cringing for him sometimes. We feel for him. It is a majestic and beautiful and poetic film. It's called The Whale, if you get a chance to check that out. And we'll do another boomerang into something completely ridiculous uh, and tell you about one of the worst movies of the year, and it's called The Mean One. cannot go through another Christmas killer thing. Not again. Us folks down in Newville, we liked Christmas a lot. But that thing that lives just north of Newville does not. What is it? The mean one. He's slippery. He's elusive. He's a mean one, that mister. You're a dead one, mister. Now, here's the deal with the mean one. It's a it's a uh, a takeoff on the Grinch and, and it's a horror film. 
they don't have the rights to the Dr. Seuss book. So they call him the mean one. And the idea behind this is that the Grinch actually becomes a serial killer. Okay. That, that's the idea. It's kind of creative, I guess. Uh, if you want to see a violent, gory, wickedly funny holiday thriller, see Violent Night. That they actually just did die hard with Santa Claus and did a great job. But stay away from the mean one and just watch the TV special that came out like 60 years ago. That's still a classic. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast this week. I'm Richard Roper. Thanks to everybody for listening. We're going to be back soon uh, in the next week or so talking about some of the very best and worst movies of 2022. Take care.